would you go to Ephesians 6? That's going to be our starting point. Let's go there. And uh, put, your, put your faith out there with me. Because it, it, it is interesting uh, how, how people can come to church and just have the tendency of, let me just sit here and, and see, see if the preacher can preach me happy tonight. And, and not realize that, that the hearer has a role in this, a very big role in this. Because the, the hearer is the one who's receiving. So if the, if, if the hearer is not receiving, then, you know, uh, uh, you've got, may have good seed getting planted, but you don't have soil that is receiving that and letting that seed take and start growing. But also, uh, the, the book of Hebrews mentions that uh, people that heard the word actually got no profit from it because that w- the word they heard, they did not mix faith with it. So that is the responsibility not of God and not of the preacher, but of the hearer. So what I want to do is I want to go ahead and emphasize this. And if you don't know this, then educate you on this, that there's a very vital role in the hearer in the ministry of the gospel. Amen. Amen. So so therefore, if I got hearers that are ready to hear, oh, we're going to have some fun tonight. All right. You got Ephesians six. Praise the Lord. Let's go ahead and get started there. I want to read uh, verse 10 to 13 out of Ephesians 6, which is uh, where pastor has been ministering these last uh, several Wednesday nights. And, uh, uh, of course, uh, uh, along the lines of the uh, armor of God. And uh, verse 10 says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore. And uh, if there are several key words that I want to focus in on here tonight, Uh, It would be this, be strong, and then put on, and then the word stand, and then the word wrestle. Be strong, put on, stand, and wrestle. Say it with me. Be strong, put on, stand, and wrestle. And and if I got a the, the best title that I could come up with for tonight is very simply this. The fight is fixed. The fight is fixed. And it is fixed in your favor. Come on. Hallelujah. <laughs> hey. Um, the idea of uh, the, these particular things we want to highlight. First of all, that aspect of being strong. It, it, and pastors pointed this out, and, and, and of course, all you got to do is know how to read to be able to see it. Be strong in the Lord. So you're being strong in the strength of the Lord, which means if it's his strength, then it's his results. 
Did you hear that? His strength equals his results. Our strength, well, that equals our results. And our results, you know, that, that's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, when the balloon uh, has all the air let out of it? That's our results. There, there, there ain't no hope for our results. But with God's strength, you get God's results. And, and, and so one thing that we got to understand in a biblical approach to spiritual warfare is that you are not doing this with your own stuff. You're not doing this with your own stuff. You're doing this with his stuff. Now, if you remember the, the classic uh, 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 Old Testament story, and it, it's, not, it's not allegory. It's a true story that really happened, otherwise known as David and Goliath. There was a real king named David and a real big guy named Goliath. Ain't nothing in the Bible, a nice, cute little story that, that teaches us something. And that's all it is. It teaches us something. No, it really happened. Don't get me started. All right. But, but, but you see, in that case there, if you remember, uh, uh, Saul wanted to get David to use his armor and David said, man, your armor don't fit me. I mean, I'm not used to this. I, this does not, I, I can't gel with your armor, king. He said, I, I know how to use my sling and so on, but I don't know how to use your armor. But when it comes to God, I want you to know that when you were born again, when you became a new creation, you were customized for God's very own armor to fit you perfectly. I mean, when, when you were born again, God had set you up so that you were a perfect fit, that your born again spirit was a perfect fit for the very same stuff God uses in battle. For the very same stuff that Jesus used when he was tempted. For the very same stuff that Jesus used when he was resisted and, and come against. The very same. It, that Ephesians 6 doesn't call it the armor of what's his name. It calls it the armor of God. It is the same armor that God uses. And because you as a born again believer. You see when we were originally created. Whose image were we created in? In the image of God. Well, your spirit, when you're born again, you're a partaker of the divine nature. When you're born again, you're born again like your daddy. Hallelujah. Which means that you are customized, made a certain way by God so that his stuff fits on you. Hallelujah. Now, when you're talking about being strong in his strength, Wow, that's an amazing thing. Think about this. You know, the Bible says that if God had a weakness, now he doesn't, but if he did, the Bible says that the weakness of God is stronger than man. The fight is fixed. <laughs> the fight is fixed and it's fixed in your favor. If God had a weak day, if God had a weak moment, He'd still blow away everybody in the whole universe. Hallelujah. Amen. 
And, and, and you know, the, the scripture has an approach to strength that we really need to get a hold of. Because a lot of times we base it upon the way we feel on a given day. And so therefore, when we're feeling good, we're feeling strong. And when we're not feeling good, we're not feeling so strong. Well, you know what? I, I believe in the, in the same way that we are called upon to obey the Lord. I believe we should disobey the devil. What do you think about that? See, all y'all, you know, looking for a good opportunity to be rebellious. Well, you know, if you're going to be rebellious, don't rebel against the one who's always right. Rebel against the one who's wrong about everything. Come on. Hallelujah. <laughs> so uh, uh, in that approach, I love these kind of verses like 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 10, where, where Paul was talking about the thorn in the flesh. He was talking about the messenger of Satan that was assigned to him to buffet him, to dog his tracks and mess with him everywhere he went. And then he said, I just take pleasure in all this mess I got going on because when I am weak, then am I strong. Hallelujah. When I'm weak, then am I strong? And that's the first thing we want to emphasize, that aspect of be strong. And, you know, I look at it like this. If, if, I, if I can rephrase what I just said to you, rebel against your weaknesses. When they speak to you and try to intimidate you, rebel against them. When you are strong in the Lord, listen to this. When you are strong in the Lord, your strength, your own natural strength and your own natural weakness does not factor in. When you are strong in the Lord, whether you personally are feeling strong that day or feeling weak today, neither your strength nor weakness factors into the results. When you're being strong in the Lord, the only thing that factors into the results is his strength, which brings his results, which are very good. Hallelujah. Paul said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. We referred to that. The prophet Joel, chapter 3, verse 10, he said, let the weak say, I am strong. You know, it's interesting. Could it be? that we must exercise some faith. Well, well, well. The just shall live by faith. So here's the aspect of faith where when you are not feeling like spiritual muscle man or spiritual muscle woman, but you believe that you're operating not on anything that you feel going on in you that day, but in the strength of God, which is perfect and never changes. He don't have down days. He, he doesn't wake up on the wrong side of the bed. He's always strong. And if I'm operating in his strength, then I'm not operating in something that might vacillate and be up one day and down the next. I'm operating in something that is the same all the time, strong all the time, works all the time, won't let you down, won't, won't fizzle out on you. Hallelujah. So this is faith. It takes faith to do this. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews 11, 33 to 34, in the whole chapter, Hebrews 11, that is the faith hall of fame. I mean, it goes right back to Abel. 
and talks about how Abel operated in faith and goes through uh, so many of, of the Old Testament saints talking about how they operated in faith. And then, then he, he just said, I don't have time to get into everybody, but, but here's what some of the people did through faith. They subdued kingdoms. They worked righteousness. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the violence of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. And then this, out of weakness were made strong. How? How were they made strong out of weakness? Through faith. By rebelling against the insinuation of the enemy that you were weak and you weren't going to make it. By rebelling against the, the weaknesses that you felt inside and, and, and that, that you felt, no, I, I just don't got the goods to do this. I'm not strong enough to do this. I, I, I don't got the goods to do this. But when God says you've got the goods, you got the goods. The Bible says Abraham was strong in faith. And you know, uh, uh, another thing that, that I just love, and it is wording of the Apostle Paul in the, the 16th chapter of 1 Corinthians and the 13th verse. He said, watch, be alert, stand fast in the faith, be brave and be strong. Watch, be on the alert, stand fast in the faith, be brave and be strong. As a matter of fact, you, you know, that there's some translations of that verse that, that say it a little differently. It says, go ahead and act like a man. Now, girls, that can qualify to you, too. That, that's not a macho verse. You don't have to sweat it. The, the idea is you're not going and cowering like, like you're a scary little child in the corner. No, you're handling this like a grown-up. Hallelujah. I love the words of the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 13. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, when I got to be a grown up, I put away childish things. And there's something that is mature about being strong, being brave, and rather than cowering in the corner, say, Devil, you want a piece of me, you don't stand a chance. You can't stand a chance. You ain't going to get a piece of me because the piece of me, the piece that's inside of me is the piece I got from Jesus because he said, my peace, I leave with you. So you want a piece of the peace? Ah, hallelujah. So be strong. Someone say, be strong. be strong. And you see, the fight is fixed because the strength that you have to be strong with is the very same strength that God himself is strong with. Amen. Not a different version, not a different brand. God don't have the, the authentic one and you got the generic one. No, you've got the very same strength. That God has. Hallelujah. So number one. 
out of our key words there was be strong, be strong. Number two is put on, put on. Someone said, Pastor, I would put on, but I don't want to be a put on. Well, here's the thing. Putting on, you can think of it in terms of putting on an act, but I am not talking about putting on an act. What I'm talking about putting on, and when the Bible talks about putting on, that means you are putting on something that is legally yours. You're not trying to be something that you're not when you're putting on in the biblical sense. No, you just acting like who you really are. Hey, 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 hallelujah. All right. What does the Bible say? We read it earlier. Put on the whole armor of God. That means it, that's yours. That is yours to put on. That is yours to put on. God expects you to use that in the same way you put on a jacket, you put on your armor. That's not an act. That's who you really are. The Bible talks about that in several instances. It talks about 1 Thessalonians 5.8, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. And then over in Romans 13 and uh, verse 12, it talks about putting on the armor of light. And then it also talks about not just putting on the armor, but it also talks about putting on Jesus. Romans 13 and verse 14 says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't make provision for your flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Put on Jesus. And if someone says, oh, you're just being a put on. Well, it depends how you mean it. If you say I'm putting on an act of something that's really not true and really not me, would that be wrong? But I tell you what, I'm really saved. I really got the DNA of God Almighty inside of me. I really am a partaker of the divine nature. So if I act like him, I'm supposed to act like him because that's who I am. Hallelujah. Look at somebody and say, act like who you are. So Romans 13, 14, like I mentioned, talks about putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the same thing over in Galatians, the third chapter, uh, uh, verse 27. It says, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. The Bible talks about putting on the new man, the new you. Boy, I tell you, if there's something that we need in the church, we need to be refreshed. If we've been around for a while, and if you're brand spanking new, you just need to learn about it the first time. We need to know the realities of what it means to be a new creation. Mm-mm. I feel like preaching tonight. The, the realities of, of the new creation because when we understand that, the idea of putting on the new man, we, we understand, you, you know what? The, the places I used to go, I don't go no more. The things I used to do, I don't do no more. And why not? I'm a new creation. Amen. The things I used to laugh at, I don't laugh at anymore. The things I used to watch, 
I don't watch anymore. And, and, and the folks that I used to get together with on Saturday night, I love you and I want the best for you. But sometimes you got to say, see you, free you, wouldn't want to be you. You know what I'm saying? Hey. Sometimes you just got to cut some things off and say, all right. Now, now, if I'm going to influence you, that's all right. Because I know I'm on the right road. But I can't afford to be influenced by you because you are a mess. And so sometimes in a very loving way, you got to separate yourself from some relationships that ain't doing you a bit of good. Come on. That's a side note word from the Lord for somebody. Take it. Put on the new man. Put on the new man. We see that in Ephesians 4 and also in Colossians. Why don't you go to Colossians 3? There's a whole lot of putting on terminology here, so we might as well read it all together. Colossians chapter 3. Praise his holy name. All right. All right, here we go. Colossians 3. Let's start with verse 9. It says, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Interesting thing that along with the putting on terminology in the Bible is also the putting off terminology in the Bible. Did you notice that? Don't lie one to another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on, someone say put on, tender mercies, kindness, Someone thought, well, you, you know, I was being kind, but I felt like I was putting it on. Well, don't you know you're supposed to put it on? <laughs> Not a fake kindness where you're going to go ahead and be one way in their face and another way behind their back. But you're going to go ahead and be kind because there's kindness inside of you. Because your spirit bears this kind of fruit because you are a new creation. So therefore, you're set up for victory. It is a fixed fight. Because the DNA of God inside of you, when it grows and produces fruit, this is the kind of fruit it produces. Just what you need to put on. Hallelujah. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Put on love. Well, I, I don't like them. So I don't want to put on love to love somebody I don't like. However, 
you realize this. The love of God is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Ghost. You know, when, when you're saved and when you really want to please God, you can't enjoy hating anybody anymore. You can look back and remember the day where you used to really enjoy it. You, you really used to enjoy holding the grudge and, you know, uh, just say, well, boy, if, if my eyes were daggers, they'd be stabbing you right now. <laughs> but now even the people that you want to go ahead and give them the dagger eyes, there's still something in your heart that, that, that just loves them anyhow. And, 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 and there's still something in there because the love of Christ constrains you. The, the love of Christ is in there, shed abroad in your heart. You can't help but be the new creature you were made to be. It's not natural for you to hate anymore because you got different DNA in you now. So put it on. Be who you are. Be that new creature that you've been called to be. So be strong and put on. Be strong and put on. What's the next part? The next part is standing. Standing firm. Hallelujah. You know, I... Love that song. Uh, Donnie McClurkin sings it. After you've done all you can. Ah, sing, man. Sing it. Sing it. Love that song. After you've done all you can, just stand. But how do you stand? Well, here's the thing. You can see how the fight is fixed. Because of the grounds that you have to stand. First of all, you realize you can stand in the grace of God. The grace of God, his, his ability, his favor to you, his, his favor to you and his ability for you to do anything that you ever needed to do, his gifts to you. You, you know, uh, the word charisma comes from the word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. It's talking about grace. God's gifts of grace. So when you're standing in grace, you are actually standing in God's favor, God's gift giving, God's enablement to make you stand. Hallelujah. Now, the Bible talks about that in Romans chapter 5, 1 and 2. It says, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Uh, 1 Peter 5, verse 12, it talks about Brother Silvanus, who, who was exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. You can stand in the grace of God. What else does the Bible say about standing? And, and here's the thing, when you're standing in the grace of God, that means you are Understand something about grace. If you've ever read some New Testament epistles, you see this terminology. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Now, if you are standing in something that is multiplied to you, multiplied to you, 
multiplied to you, multiplied to you. I, you know, I, I love this because addition is good. But when you want a lot of something, when you need a lot of something, multiplication is much better. Come on. So when grace is multiplied to you and you are standing in grace, that means you're not standing ankle deep in something. That, that, that means you're standing very firmly and very deeply in something. DNA of God Almighty so that you, when you go into the battles of life that you must face, you have an advantage because the grace of God is not that which leads to insufficiency. It's that which leads to sufficiency. That's why Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you because when you're standing in grace, you're not standing in that which causes you to lack or not have enough. You're standing in that which causes you to have plenty of whatever you need for the battle you're facing. Come on, somebody. Don't make me run around the church. I feel like doing it. Anything to help someone get it, get it, get it. Let these sayings sink deep down inside of you. Mm. The Bible talks about standing in faith. The scripture talks about us standing in faith. By faith you stand. Stand fast in the faith. That's 2 Corinthians 1 24. 1 Corinthians 16. It's talking about standing fast. Standing fast in the liberty Wherewith Christ has made us free. So we're standing in grace. We're also standing in faith. We're also standing fast. That means we're firm. That means we're, we're not blowing. Uh, like a tree planted by the water, I shall not be moved. And so we're standing firm in the liberty that Christ has set us, with which Christ has set us free. We're, we're not being taken back to, to Egypt. When you got into the promised land and tasted some of those promised land grapes, those big juicy grapes, have you ever read that in the Old Testament? Those grapes so big in the promised land that guys had to carry it between two of them like that? I mean, juicy. Sweet. And I'll tell you the truth. There is absolutely no way when you get to the promised land that God's got for you and you start tasting the good things that God's got for you in the promised land, you don't want to go back to that land of bondage. You're done with bondage. When you taste freedom, come on. Don't be duped for a minute. Don't let the devil fool you for a minute to get to looking back fondly at bondage. Like he fooled some of those guys, they're always fussing at Moses, saying, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have some leeks and onions and cucumbers again like we did in Egypt? And all we got to do is eat that old stale bread out here in the wilderness. Always complaining about something. Treasuring, looking back with fondness at the days of bondage. That's why I get, I get concerned sometimes when some people talk about their B.C. days with a little bit too much fondness. And talking like you didn't remember where you were, what you were doing, as though that were a good thing. Lord, have mercy. You were a mess. 
You can't look back with fondness at being a mess, at being lost and at a point where if you died, you'd split hell wide open. That's not something you look back with fondness to. You, you're going to look fondly at something. You're going to look fondly at where I am now and where God's taken me into my future. Hallelujah. I once was lost, but now I am found. Mm. Stand firm. <laughs> and the fourth word, wrestle. To which I say, wrestle like a winner because you are a winner. Wrestle like a winner because you are a winner. Now, I want to take some time on this because this is where I really want to spend the, the rest of our time tonight and establishing something very important that we need to realize. We need to realize that when we're dealing with the enemy, we're not coming from the standpoint of somebody who needs victory, who's trying to get victory. That cannot be our mentality. If that's your mentality, I will tell you right now, that is the wrong mentality. And, and we're going to establish this, that we're not trying to obtain victory. But we are those who in this fixed fight have victory and the enemy's trying to get it from you. And there's a difference. There, there's a big difference. And we, we need to understand that. We're, we're, not, <laughs> we're not trying to get victory. So I want to go ahead and really establish this in the word. Ephesians 6, go back there. We, we started there in the beginning. I want you to see this one more time. Hallelujah. And so we'll camp out on this for the rest of the night. I don't mean the rest of the night to midnight. I mean, you know, for the rest of service. Someone said, what did he say? All right. <laughs> Y'all are fun, I'll tell you. Your fun bunch, Ephesians 6, here we go. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So it's interesting. We see principalities, powers, rulers, and spiritual hosts. But, but even if we just take the time to focus in on principalities, powers, and rulers, if we are going to fully understand spiritual warfare, that is not the only verse in the Bible that you must consider. We're going to make a case now. <laughs> because you might read that and say, whoa, we're supposed to wrestle with principalities and powers. So let's get to wrestling. But if you just jump the gun without understanding the full scope of what the scripture says about principalities and powers, there's a very valuable truth that you're going to miss. That valuable truth is the realization that the fight is fixed. That's right. it's done. So, so let's go ahead and dig into this. 
By the way, uh, one little side note, you know, 1 Corinthians 9, 7, there's one little line in there, and I love it. It says, who goes to war at his own expense? And, and the context of it, the obvious answer being, being no, nobody's going to go to war at, at, at their own expense. Well, why would we think that we're going into spiritual warfare at our own expense? See, those that go to war are on the dime of the government they're fighting for. Being supplied with what they need by the government they're fighting for. And we as believers, when we, you know, and understand the, the, the way we mean this, when we go to war, we're not going to war on our own dime on our own supplies, on anything that we've gotten together and, 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 and gathered up for ourselves or conjured up for ourselves to try to make it through. No, we are doing this with the supplies that have been supplied to us by the government. And our government is the kingdom of God. And the king is the Lord God Almighty. You are not going to war at your own expense. He has given you his own stuff. That's been our theme tonight. You're not doing this with your stuff. You're doing this with his stuff. You're not doing it with your armor. You're doing it with his armor. You're not doing it with your strength. You're doing it with his strength. You're not doing it with, with, with your standing. You're doing it with his standing and the standing that he has legally given to you in Christ. Hallelujah. Wrestle like a winner because you are a winner. Now, back to the principality, power, and ruler idea. So we're supposed to wrestle with them. All right, but let's find out what does the Bible say about them. Go to Ephesians 1. Hallelujah. Yeah, I want you to see this. You see, there are some things I'll quote to you, but there are some things I just want you to see in the Holy Bible for yourself with your own eyes. In your Bible in your iPad, in your phone, whatever tool you're using to get your scriptures tonight, Ephesians 1, look at verse 20. And talking about uh, the, the, the mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Now, we don't know this. We're supposed to wrestle with principalities and powers. And then we read that Jesus has been seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. And he's far above all principalities and powers. So where, where Jesus is seated, it's like, what's that little speck way down there? And you might say, well, that's wonderful. That's good for Jesus. Because <laughs> he's there. I'm the one that's being told to wrestle these guys. So what do I do? Well, hold on just a minute. You're in Ephesians 1, which happens to be next door to Ephesians 2. Go to Ephesians 2. Verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, 
because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hey, so you know where Jesus is seated? The Bible says that we are seated there too. And so if you know how to connect the dots, and that's what we're going to do. If Jesus is seated here, and that puts him as being far above principalities and powers, that means that if we're seated together with him, that we also are far above principalities and powers. So that does something for our traditional idea of wrestling. Because you think of wrestling, you think of two guys that are equal with each other, looking each other in the eye, you know, and ready to do all those moves and stuff. But here, we're getting a different picture. We're not looking at wrestling as two opponents that, 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 that are evenly matched to each other. But you're looking at one opponent that's way down there somewhere. And here's you and me with Jesus seated in heavenly places far above those guys. So that's why we need to look. What does the Bible say about principalities and powers? Because that will put the wrestling into context. Now, Romans 8, 37 to 39 has this list of things that will not be able to separate us from the love of Christ. And on that list is principalities and powers. They will not be able to separate us from the love of Christ. So that's another thing we see in the word about principalities and powers. Now, go to Colossians 2. Colossians 2. Oh, yeah. We're making a case here. We're building something. We're, we're, we're going to see this. You're already starting to see it. You're going to see it even more now. Colossians 2, verse 15. It says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Triumphing over them in what? Well, you look at verse 14 and you see it's talking about the cross. Jesus triumphed over the, uh, the, the principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them. He disarmed them. Other uh, uh, translations talk about spoiling principalities and powers or putting them to nothing. And he did that. So now you got to uh, add another dimension to this wrestling match. All right, we wrestle against principalities and powers, but we're far above them. And by the way, Jesus already whooped them. Jesus already disarmed them. He spoiled them and had the victory parade already. So, Let's dig into this a little bit more. 
principalities and powers, and also another term, ruler. Ephesians uh, talks about the rulers of the darkness of this world. Well, Jesus said some things in the Gospel of John in the 12th chapter, the 31st verse. He said, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. That's John 12, 31. John 16, 11, he said, the ruler of this world has been judged. Interesting. I wonder who he's talking about. Because we need to understand this. Were there evil rulers during the day of Jesus? Yeah, were there evil men who were ruling? Absolutely. But behind evil men that rule are the evil spirits that are pulling the strings of these evil men who don't have enough sense to even know they're the devil's puppet. So you realize that, that when we read about rulers, you may think about natural people. And to, to some extent, yeah, there's natural people that, that are involved, but, 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 uh, but, but they are being pulled at behind the scenes by the real rulers, the rulers behind the rulers, the rulers of the darkness of this world. That's why you got to pray for leaders, pray for rulers, because you want rulers to be hooked up with the Lord and not be hooked up with the wrong ruler. Come on. Go to 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2. Hallelujah. Someone say the fight is fixed. First Corinthians chapter two. Let's start with verse six. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, there are those that debate whether the rulers here are talking about people that are ruling or spirits that are ruling. And really, there's no reason to have the, uh, the argument because even if Paul referred to people, Who's pulling the strings on the people? The spirit rulers. The rulers of the darkness of this world. So, you know, it's not an argument worth having. The bottom line is that the rulers of this age are coming to nothing. And Jesus specifically talked in John, like we quoted there, that the ruler of this world is judged and, and that the, the other one was that the, the ruler of this world will be cast out. Hallelujah. So you see, we're understanding something here uh, of these that we're wrestling with, these that, that, that we, we, we are, uh, 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 are, are involved with in warfare. This is not a situation where, you know, th this is an even fight. You know, this is like the 180-pounder against the 180-pounder. You know, it's not a case like that. This Fight, when you look at it from God's standpoint and from the scriptural standpoint, is so much in your favor 
You might think about feeling bad for the devil and then you say, no, I ain't feeling bad for him, not for a minute. I mean, it is absolutely, totally in your favor. It's fixed. It's fixed on purpose because right now you don't have to try to get victory. You don't have to obtain victory. Your job as a believer is maintaining what Jesus already obtained for you. Are you getting it? So you see, that's why if we just stopped at Ephesians 6 and said, all right, let's get to wrestling, we'd miss something. Because then we we wouldn't have the full scope of our enemy and the condition of our enemy. Our enemy is not in a good condition. He's not in a good condition. Jesus whooped him put them on a public display, and then besides that, you got to know some other things that the New Testament teaches us like this, that that Hebrews 2.14 says that Jesus destroyed him that had the power of death, who that is the devil. First uh, John 3.8 says, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And you see the resurrected Jesus standing there in Revelation chapter 1 saying, I am he who was dead and behold, guess what? I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and hell. So something happened. Someone preached a message one time, said the devil ain't what he used to be. (laughs) And I'm glad to tell you the devil ain't what he used to be because something happened to him along the way. He got into a battle that he did not win. Hallelujah. As a matter of fact, uh, many people believe that the words of Genesis chapter 3, 15 was in reference to this very thing. Genesis 3.15, where God said to Eve, I'm going to put enmity between you and the, the serpent and between your seed and, and his seed. And, and a reference to the seed of the woman bruising the head of the serpent. Now that's interesting because, I, and, and you know, we're just going to, we, we can talk. But if you know a little bit about anatomy, it's not the woman who's got the seed, it's the man who's got the seed. So it's an interesting terminology to hear about the seed of a woman. Might that just be a reference to something we know as the virgin birth? Mm-hmm. Things that make you say, hmm. Now, could it be that this seed of the woman, this one who is born of a virgin, would be the one who would crush the head of the serpent. Hallelujah. And and you know, the beautiful thing is that there's an aspect in which it's done and there's an aspect in which you're just still kind of continuing to enjoy that victory and, 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 and experience that victory for yourself where Jesus did it, and you walking in that victory get to experience it for yourself. I love something Paul said, where Satan will be crushed under your feet shortly. The same one who's already been crushed, 
the same one who's already been defeated. You see what's happening here is Jesus took care of him, but now you're starting to find out something. You're starting to find out about who you are and about who he is. You're starting to find out that you've got victory and he lost. Because here's the thing, the, it, it, you might say, well, if, if the devil's defeated, it sure looks like he's got a whole lot going on for himself in this crazy world we live in. To which I'd have to tell you this, that the real truth of the matter is that he's whooped. But the real problem is that people don't know that. Saints don't know that. Folks, they come to church in 95 Sagamore Road in Seekonk, Massachusetts and sit in a pretty blue chair. Don't know that. Saints got to know that. The world's got to know that. That is so much part of the gospel message that people need to know that Satan is whooped. Because when you find out he's whooped, you won't let a whoop man take your goods, take your marriage, take your stuff. You won't let a whoop defeated thing come in and mess with your life. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. But we know. Hallelujah. We know. Glory to God. Oh, yeah, we better quit. Here's one more for the road. First Timothy six. Go there. One more for the road. First Timothy six. If you really want to know if it's a fixed fight, here we go. First Timothy six. Hallelujah. First Timothy six, verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. Now, this is not deep and heavy. This is really pretty simple. You ready? Here it is. How many of you, at any point in your life, have ender, ever ended up with a black eye, busted up teeth, and broken bones, and came out saying, yeah, that was a good fight? <laughs> yeah, it was good, all right. It wasn't good for you, it was good for the other guy, but... Uh, but why is that? Because when you think of a fight being a good fight, you're not thinking in terms of a fight that you lose. You're thinking in terms of a fight that you win. And you know what? Here's the thing. The, the real truth of the matter, and there's an if involved here. But if we use the armor, if we use the strength, if we use our standing if we use what we've been given to put on if we have this knowledge that we talked about tonight of satan's defeat by the lord jesus christ then if you know that 
believe that and act like it, rather than you being defeated in life, you will be victorious in life. And any area that we are defeated in life, it is because we've let something slip in that way, in those areas. And here's the thing. You've got an enemy who's whooped, but you got to understand this. He's also a liar. John chapter 8, 44, Jesus talked to those religious guys. He talked tough. He said, you're of your father, the devil, the lust of your father, you'll do. He was a liar from the beginning. And when he talks about lies, he's talking about his own stuff because he's a liar. He's the father of lies. He just, he, he's just a big fat liar. I mean, if he was from Louisiana, they'd call him a jumbo liar. I mean, <laughs> big time liar. <laughs> I saved that one for just the occasion. All right. But, but understand this, because you're dealing with a liar, he's not going to go ahead and say anything or do anything to make you think that he knows he's whooped. He's going to go ahead and try to keep on being who he used to be before he got whooped. And he's going to want to portray himself as big and bad because if he gets people to buy it, you see, that's his only weapon is deception. If he gets people to fall for that, he's got them right where he wants them. That's why you don't believe liars. You don't put stock into what liars say. As a matter of fact, if you want to have an accurate picture of his status, you cannot get it from him. Because you know what he's going to say? He's going to say, I got you right where I want you. Yeah, look at you. Trusting God, living for God. And yeah, and yeah, look at your bank book. Tell me how much that trusting God's working for you. So you know he's going to talk that way. You can know it right off the bat. But glory be to God, you don't listen to liars. Let God be true and every man a liar and every devil a liar. If God said it, if God said something about Satan's status, then that's what you listen to because that's the true status. That's the, the accurate statement concerning his status. Why is it a good fight? Because it's a fixed fight. It's fixed in your favor. Thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph. Hallelujah. Come on, praise him. Hallelujah. Yeah. Blessed be his holy name. Let's pray tonight. Lord, we honor you. We thank you for this time we've shared together. And Lord, I, I, I pray for every hearer in the house tonight, Lord, that you will do the, the work that you desire to do in each one. And, and, and Lord, that nobody's leaving here without knowing for sure that they are tight and right in their relationship with you.